All right, our scripture can be found uh, on the screen as we continue through the book of James. This is James uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And the title of the sermon is called Finish the Race. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The word of the Lord. Well, the countdown has begun It's 81 days, 21 hours, 8 minutes, 51 seconds, 50, 49, 48 for the Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020. And uh, cross your fingers, it appears that that is going to be happening. Uh, I love the Olympic Games. They're a lot of fun to watch. This uh, Tokyo's Games, there'll be over 50 sport disciplines, 340 medal events, taking place in 42 venues across beautiful Japan. A whopping 206 countries will be participating, comprised of 11,091 Olympic athletes. And all of these athletes have one thing in common. They are competing. They are going into whether you call it a race, a game, a match, a heat, or a trial, going into a test, a contest, if you will, where they compete for a prize. James uses this kind of language when he talks about the Christian life. He shows us that life is not meaningless. Rather, it's a trial. It's a test, a race in which we're meant to finish becoming victorious and receiving the crown of faith. And James is stressing in this passage that this test, this trial, is a battle with temptation. All sorts of temptations to overcome. James wants us to understand that we must view life with focus, with preparation, with an understanding that it is a test and a trial, and we must prepare and run with that kind of attitude. Because we were meant for victory. How do we overcome temptation and make it to the finish line? Victory comes when we depend on Christ to overcome temptation and to win the race of faith. We're going to look at three particular points that James uh, uh, lists in his passage. Number one, the trial of temptation. It's a trial that we all experience, that we all undergo. Number two, the source of temptation. Where does it come from? We have to understand it a little bit better if we are going to defeat it. And then finally, number three, the help in temptation. What help does God give us so that we can emerge victorious 
over temptation and receive the crown of life. Because victory comes when we depend on Christ to overcome temptation. Well, let's look at point number one, the trial of temptation. James says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. As I've said, life is a trial and a test. And if you'll notice, he's talking about all of our life, that the entire, the whole of our life is a test. To be sure, in our life, it's a series of small tests and trials that add up to one large test. There's a tendency in our world, because of what our world preaches at us, to think that life is meaningless. There's no purpose to it. It's, it's random. Or it's this circle of life that goes around and around and around. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says differently. The Bible speaks about the Christian faith as a race. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. This passage actually talks about the race and shows that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Notice in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us uh, into the Christian life. That's the beginning. The very end is receiving the crown of life. And the middle of the race is all about the trial and the testing. And we're focusing on the middle because that's where we're at right now. Unless you were just born or unless you just passed away. The trial is arduous and our faith is being tested. See, the trial is to believe in and to continue to follow Jesus in the midst of temptation. And to follow Christ requires life change. It requires living differently than the rest of the world. Jesus said it best in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It's about obedience and following after Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that love him. 1 Peter 1.15 put it this way, But as he, God who called you, is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We're called to live lives of holiness and obedience to Christ in the midst of a world that says otherwise. A Christianity that costs us nothing is nothing. And so we run this race of obedience and holiness. But our race has an opponent, doesn't it? In fact, it has three opponents. The world, the flesh, and the devil that push against us. They are who we are competing against in this trial. The world which says there is no God. There is only this that we have around us. It's foolish or silly to obey someone and follow someone that you've never seen before. And then there's our flesh, our fallen selves. We have not yet been resurrected. And sometimes our flesh screams against us, against our spirit, that this is not the way to go. To follow Jesus Christ is foolishness. Why are you obeying him? 
Instead, do what you want to do. Do what feels right. This is what our body, our flesh is communicating to us. It's more than our body. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. And then finally, you have the tempter, the devil, the one, the fallen angel who, who uh, God cast out of heaven down to earth, who continues to try to lure us away from the path of holiness and obedience. Yes, to be a Christian is to swim against the tide. Life is a trial. But it says, blessed is the one who is steadfast under the trial. The word steadfast means to endure with patience. Blessed is the one who endures with patience under trial. This trial, which is a trial of temptation, the pull that each one of us experiences to deviate from following God's word. Every day when we wake up and we start to live our lives, we feel that pull, don't we? Not to trust God with our present. Not to trust God with our past. Not to trust God with our future. And it's hard to resist temptation, isn't it? Temptation doesn't bludgeon us. It beguiles us. It doesn't shout at us. It whispers at us. Live this way. Do this thing. Love this thing. Act this way. These trials, they come at us in all directions, in all shapes and sizes, and they buffet us and they bully us. But blessed is the one who stays steadfast under the trial because when he has stood the test, meaning when he has lived his life, continuing to be faithful to Jesus Christ, continuing to believe, continuing to follow all the way to the end of their life, they will receive the crown of life. See, it's all about not giving up. It's all about continuing to believe. It's all about trusting. See, when I see this, I recognize that all I have to do to win this race is to cross the finish line. I don't need to come in first because to come in first is to cross the finish line. And so the Bible uses the word blessed is the man. Blessed means literally happy. Happy is the person who stays steadfast under trial. Why are they happy if they stay steadfast under trial? Really, there's two reasons why we experience happiness when we're walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. The first is, it's because that is how we were meant to live. We were designed to live that way. I'm speaking into this microphone right now. This microphone was designed to do one thing, which is to amplify my voice. It's carrying out its calling, so to speak, as it is working. And in the same way, you will experience the most joy and happiness when you are choosing day in, day out, moment by moment, to follow and to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And you will receive the blessings in this life. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. 
you are a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. The experience of shalom and peace when you're walking in the will and the ways of Jesus Christ in the midst of temptation. But blessed is happy in the, uh, and happy is the person who is walking in this way because of the future benefits that they will receive as well. This passage calls it the crown of life. But it could just as easily be translated in the Greek, the crown that is life. One day we will not experience this pull of temptation and evil buffeting and assailing us but rather we will experience the fullness of life itself having come to the end of the race, knowing that our inheritance with Christ is secure. And we will no longer have to see Him by faith, believe in Him by faith, but we will see Him with sight. And we will finally be resurrected and we will be ourselves, the people we were meant to be, and feel no temptation or pull whatsoever to sin anymore. And notice that this is promised to those who love him. We have a sure future, Christian, that is waiting at the end of the finish line for all who endure and stay steadfast under trial and temptation. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Wilma Rudolph. I got to uh, hear Wilma Rudolph speak before she died. I think it was in 1994. Wilma Rudolph is famous uh, because she was a, a four-time medalist at the, uh, at the Olympics. She won three gold medals, uh, the 100, the 200, and the 4 by 100 in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. She was the fastest woman in the world in the 1960s and became the first woman to win three gold medals in a Summer Olympics, in a single uh, Summer Olympics. What you may not know about Rudolph is that she suffered from several early childhood illnesses, including pneumonia and scarlet fever. And she contracted infantile paralysis caused by polio at the age of five. Wilma recovered from polio, but she lost strength in her left leg and foot. And for the next seven years, she had to wear a brace on her left leg in order to walk. She spent seven years traveling twice a year by bus 50 miles away in order to get treatments for her leg as she wore it in this brace. But something started to happen as she became stronger and stronger. She began to walk with more purpose and began to jog and actually began to run. And I remember Wilma Rudolph talking about the fact that she ran so fast one time that she literally broke out of her leg brace, that it disintegrated. It was no longer needed. See, Wilma was a victorious runner. There was one in her the whole time when she was surrounded by that cage around her left leg. It just took a while for her to break free from that which was holding her back. When I think about Wilma Rudolph and I apply that concept spiritually, spiritually, I think that's you and me. That we are beset by sin and temptation. And it's hard to run in freedom that we have in Christ with this temptation continuing to dog us and hold us back 
and the brokenness and fallenness of our life. We feel bogged down by the cage of temptation. Have you ever felt that way? Satan constantly on your back, saying, don't believe in that. Trust me. Holiness isn't worth it. Obedience in this area of your life, come on. But you see, my friends, we have a destiny that's waiting for us right on the other side of the finish line. The crown of life. And so we can't quit. We have to persevere under trial. We have to hang on because the winner's circle is waiting for us if we simply don't give up. To be sure, life is a trial and a test. But in Christ, we will have the victory and we will run free right out of our cage at the end of the day. This is the trial of temptation. Well, what about my second point, the source of temptation? Where does temptation come from? It's not as simple as we think it might be. Notice verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. See, our natural response to trials and temptations when we have them is to look to God and to say, why are you doing this to me, O God? I mean, that's a natural response. In other words, if God's in charge of everything and this is happening, then it must be from him. It must be his fault. That was Adam's response, remember, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? And Adam turned to God and said, it is the woman that you gave me. She's the one who gave me the apple and I ate. In other words, God, it's your fault. But the scripture here is quite clear that he cannot be tempted with evil. See, we want to make God like us, that he experiences the same things that we do, but he doesn't. There's one adjective used throughout the Bible to describe who God is and what God is. And you know what that is? It's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's perfect goodness. He's perfect truth. He's perfect beauty. He can never ever be charged with doing evil, nor does it enter into his mind ever to do evil. And Satan has no power to tempt the Holy One who is God. He cannot be tempted with evil. And notice it goes on and says, He himself tempts no one. God doesn't tempt you or me. God may test, but he never tempts. Well, what's the difference? God tests us so that our character is strengthened. But he never tempts us into sin because he doesn't desire his people to sin. God doesn't have any trick questions on the test that he sends us. We can begin to think like that, right? You're, you're just against me, God. But God is not against us. He is not trying his hardest to make you fail when he sends you trials and tests. God is not making it difficult for us to trust him. He's not a cunning adversary doing his best to see if we can really stand up. No, when God sends difficulties into our lives, we may never know why. 
But what James says and what we have to hold on to is this. He's not against us and he's good. So where does this sin come from? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It starts with his own desire. Our problem is not God. We're the problem. Our hearts, our desires. And that's a hard thing to hear. We've talked about the fact that our spirit inside may be resurrected in Christ, that we are a new creation, but our mind, our will, our emotions are still fallen. We have not received our resurrected bodies, and there is something deep within us that strongly does not want to walk in the will and the ways of God. That says, no thanks, God, it's my way or the highway. We don't desire the things that God desires. And so each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. But notice there's someone all too willing to play on our own desires. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Who's doing the luring and the enticing? Well, that's Satan. And in fact, Satan's nickname is the tempter. Notice the language that's being used, lured and enticed. That's hunting language, right? If you're a hunter, you use lures and you entice the prey to come closer so that you may get a good shot at them. We are being hunted by Satan, the tempter, who plays on our own desires. And yet we are responsible for our sin because our desire is activated by it. Desire is the key to understanding why you and I do what we do. Fundamentally, our lives are a tale of desires and our desires reveal our idols. What is the result when we're tempted and enticed and our desire is activated? Verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown forth, brings forth death. See, if you walk down the path of desire that is not God's desire, it's leading you somewhere. It's ultimately leading you to sin and it's leading you to death. Sin brings death into our hearts. We've all experienced this, haven't we? Walking down this path where desire becomes sin and sin ultimately becomes death in our hearts. One of my greatest, uh, one of the greatest illustrations of this uh, is a, a boy named Edmund Pevensey. You familiar with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that great book? And you have the Pevensey children, the four children who are sent to the country to live in London during the bombings. And Edmund is, is sort of a peevish fellow. He's the younger brother, and uh, he doesn't like being told what to do. He doesn't like anybody being over him. And so when he stumbles into Narnia, he meets the White Witch. And the white witch sees this in Edmund and offers him Turkish delights, whatever those are. And Edmund feels special. 
The queen isn't doing this for anyone else. It's because I'm somebody. I'm important. And so he goes ahead and takes his first piece of Turkish delight, and he is hooked. He will do anything for that Turkish delight, even betray his very own brothers and sisters. See, desire, when awoken, lured and enticed by evil, turns into sin, and sin turns into death. And so we must look within and examine the anatomy of our own desire. What do I love more than Jesus? What is Satan dressing up in my heart? That possession, that person, that profession that's being made to look oh so beautiful that if you just follow it, the tempter whispers, you will have life. No, my friends, you are being played. So what must we do? We must pray. Remember the Lord's prayer, oh, lead us not into temptation, O oh God, but deliver us from evil, or literally from the evil one. We must pray to God. God, awaken my eyes and my ears. Help me to see the reality and the truth. We must look to the grace of Jesus Christ shown to us on the cross, which is far more beautiful than anything else. A God who would love us so much that he would send his son, who would die on a cross to redeem us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We must pray. We must look to the grace of Jesus Christ. And finally, we must recognize I'm broken. It's me. I'm the problem. God, I need help because left to myself, I will fail. I will perish. This brings me to my final point, the help in temptation. There is a help for those who are being tempted by the evil one and dragged off by their own desires. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved. Notice, what is the root of wrong desire? It's deception. We're being deceived by the evil one. Every day a war is raging in your heart and my heart. Which desires will win? For God and his ways or for everything else? We can either give in to our temptations, which becomes a huge source of discouragement, or we can seek God's help. Verse 17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God is perfect. He's the Father of lights, meaning there's no darkness in him whatsoever. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And God has given us a perfect savior to go before us, to fight our battles, to give us victory over temptation. 
see, my friends, we need Jesus. The one who never had unholy desires. Tempted? Yes, he was. In every way that we are. But never, ever sinned. He was the only one that ever said to the Father, Thy will be done, not mine. Jesus would rather die than disobey. And so he did and was raised again because no fault could be found in him. Jesus said to his disciples and he says to us, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you and I, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, are united to Christ. He lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave us or will he forsake us. John 14, 26, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, notice he's called the helper. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus wants you to succeed. Verse 18, of his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. See, the reason you are a Christian is not due to you. It's due to him who has set you on this, on this path, on this race. It's of his will, of his own will he has brought you forth. And he's made you into this first fruits of creatures. The first of beings that could say no to sin since the original humans, Adam and Eve. See, he's given us the power to say no to sin, to live a new life in Christ. Satan says that you cannot resist temptation. But that's an absolute lie. And so in Christ, we have the power to resist temptation and to live lives of holiness. As Romans 6.13 says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. We have a choice of who we will listen to. Either the tempter, the evil one who whispers in our ear, or Jesus Christ living in us by the Holy Spirit that says, follow me. Walk in my will and my ways. Trust me. James 4, 7 puts it this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the midst of every single time when you're hearing the Satan whispering into your ear, there's Jesus also saying, follow me. Obey me. Submit to me. Trust me. And Jesus provides a way, for he is our help in temptation. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man. It's common. We all experience it. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out 
so that you can stand up under it. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will always, always provide a way out. So look for the way out. Look for Jesus Christ. He's directing you on the path to safety from temptation. If you follow Christ and his commands, he will lead you out of temptation into peace. You see, victory comes when we depend on Christ to overcome temptation. To wrap up, to be sure, life is a trial. A trial of temptation. If you're experiencing temptation right now, you're not alone. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And the source of temptation is not only the devil who whispers to us, but it's our broken selves who want to go along. But we have a help in temptation. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, who endured and overcame temptation, is with us and in us and seeks to lead us in the path of holiness. He is the one who overcame Satan, who overcame the world, and yes, he can even overcome us. So look to him, for victory comes when we depend on Christ to overcome temptation. Let's pray. Oh God, it is difficult to walk after you. Lord, because of our brokenness, because of the evil one, the tempter, who whispers into our ears, and often we give way. Lord, but you continue to put us back on our feet. Lord, don't let go of us. Lord, and we pray that like uh, Wilma Rudolph, Lord, that we would run right out of that cage. Uh, Lord, that we would trust you more and more and experience the victory that comes when we follow you instead of Satan and his temptation. We want to live victorious Christian lives here on this earth. And we want to most of all cross that finish line that we might receive the crown that is life, the inheritance of being with you, with the kingdom of God. So Lord, protect us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.